Are you telling us that our sound system issues could be solved if we just had a bigger key? (laughs) This whole time it was the size of the key? We are continuing to work on making sure our sound system is improving. Thank you, Trey, for commissioning a group to come in. We are in the process, I promise. We have been the past month traveling through a series about holiness. In our first week, we were talking about what does it mean to live holy lives. That next week, we were discerning what does it mean to have holy disciplines, to be a people who follow the disciplines of faith. Last week, you were in for a treat if you were here. If not, go back and watch it. Reverend Kathy Jorgensen brought us a word about holy actions. She says she couldn't preach. Well, we just found out once again that she can. So I'm going to be out February the 29th, (laughs) April the, all right? But this morning, I would like for us to conclude our series on holiness by thinking about what does it mean to be responsible, to understand that the things for which we are responsible also contribute to our attempts to be holy. I would like to preach from the subject, holy responsibility. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen, indeed. Have you ever revisited one of your favorite children's books later in life? Perhaps maybe it was a movie that you enjoyed as a child or some sort of memory. When you came back to that experience as an adult, what was it like? Was it nostalgic? Was it exciting? Was it disappointing because it wasn't quite the way you remembered it? If it was a book, did the words seem familiar, like you'd never forgotten them? You're able to recite them as if you just heard it yesterday. I recently did this with one of my favorite childhood books. It's one that I bet many of us in this room have read. It's called The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein. Although many might be familiar with this story, there might be a few who are not, so let me give you a quick summary. There was once a tree And every day there was a boy who would climb in the tree and he would gather the leaves to make a crown. He would climb up the tree's trunk and swing from the branches. He would eat the apples and sleep in the shade. The boy loved the tree and the tree loved the boy. But then the boy went away, came back when he was a little bit older. And though the tree was often alone, the tree was very excited when the boy came back, but he wasn't looking to play. Instead, he said that he needed money. And the tree said that it didn't have any money, but that the boy could take the tree's apples and sell them. So the boy climbed up and shook the branches and took the apples and sold them and then went away. And the tree was happy. And some time had passed. The boy came back when he was even older. And the boy didn't want to play, but he said that he wanted a house. The tree said, I don't have a house, but you can cut down my branches and build a house. So the boy did that, and the tree was happy. The boy stayed gone for a long time, and he came back when he was older, but he didn't want to play. He said he wanted a boat. 
And the tree said, I don't have a boat, but you can take my trunk and make a boat. So the boy did that. And the tree was happy, but this time it says, but not really. And then when the boy was much, much older, as an old man, he came and came to the tree that was just at that point a stump. And the tree said, I have nothing to give. And he said, well, I'm an old man and I don't need much, just a place to sit and rest. And the old stump said, well, a stump is good for sitting and resting. So the boy sat down and the tree was happy. When I re-entered this story as an adult, I was struck by how sad and depressing it kind of is. When I was a child, I thought, you know, this is a sweet story. The boy gets to be, have a boat. But as an adult, I, I, I look at this story and I'm struck by its kind of depressive state. In a 2014 article for the New Yorker, Ruth Marigelt expressed the same consternation. She too re-entered the story later as an adult and was shocked by how problematic it actually is. In her story, she notes that the book promotes narcissism and entitlement. She writes, William Cole, who turned down the manuscript when he was the editor at Simon & Schuster, was troubled by its portrayal of parenthood. My interpretation is that that was one dum-dum of a tree, giving everything and expecting nothing in return. In the article, she points out it's also a bit problematic that Silverstein himself saw the book as nihilistic. She writes, when Silverstein was asked to defend the book, he said, it's just a relationship between two people. One gives and the other takes. It's about a boy and a tree and it has a pretty sad ending. Even Silverstein himself found the book to be a little bit depressing. So why do I bring up this book? It is not to ruin any of your childhood memories. My mom used to read me this book and that will never, that memory will never change. I will always love that book for the reminder it brings about my childhood. But I do think it helps us see a paradoxical reality that's also expressed in our gospel lessons this morning. On the one hand, self-sacrifice to give of oneself is a form of holiness. Holy responsibility means that we care for and give to others as the tree gave to the boy. And yet, there is a limit to the things for which we are responsible. When does self-sacrifice become self-absorbed? Let's look back at our text this morning, our gospel lessons this morning. In Matthew's gospel, we are given a story about James and John's mother coming and making a request of Jesus. She comes to Jesus on behalf of her boys and kneels before him, and Jesus asks, what is it that you want? She said, please make my sons great. Let one sit at your right hand and one at your left. Basically, Zebedee's wife is saying, Jesus, my boys are special. You should realize just how special my boys are. When you see how special my boys are, then you will want them by your side in places of honor. And Jesus said to her, you do not know for what you are asking. He looks at James and John and says, can you drink from the cup I'm going to drink? And not knowing even what Jesus is talking about, they say, yes, 
Yes, we can. Of course we can. They have the unbridled confidence of two boys whose mama just came and told everybody how special they were. Jesus then goes on to say, you will drink from my cup, but to sit at my right and my left is not for me to grant. And it is no surprise that the other 10 apostles heard all of this going on and the scriptures say they were indignant. They were furious. I mean, you would be too, right? If you've been traveling around as a group of 12 and all of a sudden the mama of two of your brothers came and talked about how special her boys were and how they were better than you and how they deserved honor and they deserved privilege and and that they were special. Of course they were indignant. But Jesus realizes what's going on. He pulls everybody together. And he says, most people in positions of power, they lord their power over those who they govern. Typically the person in charge reminds you that they are in charge. They tell you about how great they are. They tell you they have the authority. The person who's the boss typically reminds you that they are the boss. But Jesus says, it is not so with you. Instead, if you want to actually be great, you have to be a servant. Whoever wants to be first has to be least. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So in light of this passage, and in light of the the children's story we were just recapping earlier, I would like to ask you this question. For what are we responsible What are the things that we have been given responsibility over? Our society teaches us that we are chiefly responsible for ourselves. That when we look out for ourselves, that's how we become great. Those who get the most accolades are greatest. Those who make the most money are greatest. Those who garner the most notoriety are the greatest. What is the main narrative in sports these days? He or she should get paid, look out for themselves, get what's due to them. How much media attention is given to the British royalty right now, the Kardashians, and the chief influencers on social media? Our world has almost a universal narrative that we are solely responsible for ourselves and that we should look out first for us. Yet Christ says, if you were to drink from my cup, you will be least. Your responsibility is not only for yourself, but for others. If you are holy as I am holy, you will be responsible for the things I am also responsible. For a month, we've been talking about holiness and how we are called to be holy as Christ is holy. And right here in this scripture, we are hearing the implications of what exactly that means. If you are to be holy, If you want to be like Christ, you must give of yourself for others. To be greatest in the kingdom is to be least in the world. In my mind, this is at the heart of practicing holy responsibility. However, I am afraid that at times we have glamorized or even idolized self-sacrifice. So ask again, what is it 
that we are responsible for? Are you and I responsible for forcing someone to see the world in a particular way? Are you and I responsible for establishing what should and shouldn't matter to a person? Are we responsible for determining the eternal salvation of our sisters and our brothers? I fear that in our attempts to be holy, we have at times placed upon ourselves the things for which God is responsible. It is not our responsibility to determine someone's everlasting fate. To say if a person or a people group is going to heaven or hell, that is the domain of the divine. It is not our responsibility to save the world. No matter how good our intentions are or how much we want to fix everything, these are the realms of the things for which God is responsible. Sometimes in our attempts to be holy, our sacrificial practices lead us to place ourselves in God's role. Even Jesus himself said there were things for which he was not responsible, like deciding who is on the left and on the right. So then what is our responsibility? I believe our responsibility, the holiness to which we are called, is to show the world the kingdom of God. To be holy is to live in such a way that we are set apart from the leadings of the masses and exist in a way that ushers in the truth and the knowledge of God's kingdom. It means that we will love one another. We serve others. We will put others before ourselves just as Jesus did, just as Jesus instructed us to. We will tell the world that whereas society says you are responsible for making something of yourself, the good news of the gospel is that God has already made something of you. We will preach the good news, and as the old adage goes, we will preach the good news at at all times, and when necessary, we will use words. The challenge of holiness is that it is not just another form of self-improvement curriculum. There isn't a step-by-step plan that we all follow exactly the same way. We are not all on a certain part of the path and we compare ourselves to others in their holiness path. We do not lord our holiness over others because we are further along some arbitrary prescription. No, holiness is about being with God and trying to be like God while recognizing we are not God. Our holy responsibility is to show the world the kingdom, to point out what God has done. All of our efforts of worship and of service are to show others the kingdom of God, to help others experience love and grace. My main issue with the giving tree is not that it promotes narcissism or entitlement or short critiques like that. It's that this story lacks the one thing that is so essential to our story as Christians. It lacks resurrection. It lacks the life-centered and the gift giver as well because the generous acts of love that are given also fill the giver with life too. 
It lacks the redemption of the sacrifice and how the one sacrificing is also made whole because of the resurrection. So as we wrap up this sermon and this series, I do not mean that we should give just so that we get things in return. I do not think that we should serve just so that we can feel better about ourselves. But when we give because of Christ, we do experience the fullness that is offered us through Christ because of the resurrection. We are made whole. And so we should not avoid giving. Christ calls us to sacrifice, to serve as the least of these. However, may we avoid sacrificing for others so that we gain holy points with God in comparison to our sisters and brothers. Instead, may we be a people who recognize our responsibility is to show the world the kingdom, to offer love and grace, kindness and generosity, to help others experience the fullness of God that we experience because of the resurrection of Christ. And may we do so in a way that fills us also with life. Because in giving, we experience the kingdom of heaven. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.